This time of year, uh, always a good time. I, I, I'm a big fan of Mardi Gras. I think uh, for me, Mardi Gras brings out the best in what it means to be a Louisianian. Um, it's usually a good time. Uh, we, can, we can find a reason to get together and have a blast for anything, right? And this is just proof, right? Uh, watching the little old ladies uh, pushing people out of the way so they can pick up every last bead on the ground. Watching kids begging and begging and begging to get something off of that dumb cart that has a tendency to pass around, right? Uh, so you got to make sure, parents, that you, you got like wads of cash for your kids. I know. Um, it's, it, it, it seems to be, though, just a, uh, a really good time for all of us. For me, I have to say, a lot of the times, I think the images of Mardi Gras that the rest of the world might have of beads and floats and all the, all the revelry and excitement, um, all the popular images, king cakes, right? Like all those like images, that doesn't yell Mardi Gras to me. When I think of Mardi Gras, I think of an early morning, I think of a paddle and a black iron pot. Because ever since I was a kid, ever since I was about 10 years old, um, I used to go with my dad every year for Mardi Gras early in the morning, and I was given the duty to use the paddle and just get, just be at work in the bottom of the pot, right? For years and years and years, I've been, I've been watching my dad and, and, and following him and Lockport Parade every year. It was an early morning. It was beignets, deep fried chicken, and a black iron pot. Always, always, always have enjoyed Mardi Gras. Last year, whenever I, when I went off to college, when I was, uh, when I was in college, I, a, friend, a group of friends and I decided we were going to put together our own Mardi Gras party. So tomorrow, um, we're going to have our ninth year in a row that we get together on St. Charles Avenue. And the nine friends that we started this party with has grown now to about 300 to 400 people. As we've kind of gone off and done our own thing, everybody comes from around different areas, and we just have a massive party and a good time on St. Charles Avenue. Now, though, the one difference between Lockport Parade when I was growing up and now is that I'm in charge of the Pastelaya. Now, years of, of watching, years of following, years of just being there staring at what's going in the pot, Years and years and years of just stirring has now turned into me cooking it. So tomorrow I'm cooking a 20-gallon pot of pastelaya. So please pray that we have good weather and that I don't burn this thing. Um, but it's going to be, I'm excited. But last year was my first time I did that. And I'm not going to lie. It was intimidating to think I'm going with all this stuff. I was worried. My dad never has been the one that like lets me do a lot of the stuff. I've talked about that before. Like I can't touch the power tool. I can't touch the hammer. I got to, I'm in electrical engineering at LSU, but I can't touch a hammer and a nail. Right? Got it. But for some reason, last year it just hit me. I was I was worried going into this. But I had years behind me of learning. You know, this is how education worked for the longest time in history. We didn't have schools and things like that. Like what people did was, is you had a trade, you would find someone who knew that trade really well, right? If you wanted to learn something, you'd find someone who was doing that trade, that skill, that activity, and you would become their apprentice. And you would just follow them around. You would live their life. You would see what they were doing. We see this now with coaches, right? 
We'll watch uh, uh, in athletics. People have good coaches, and what do they do? They just follow the guides of their coaches. See, I, I, I'll be honest, I, I do this with homilies. I've, I've, I, whenever I'm like getting ready for a homily, a lot of times, I'll listen to people that I like to listen to. Because there's a skill that I can learn from just by being an understudy. Just by kind of following him. Just by kind of listening and paying attention and letting my style kind of follow theirs. This relationship of a master and an apprentice has been around for the longest time. Even into Star Wars in a galaxy far, far away. You didn't get that joke? Sorry. Um, I feel bad for you. But it, it, this is how it works. That there's an apprentice that you follow a master. In our gospel today, I mean in our, first, in our second reading today, Paul names these three people. He says Apollos, Cephas, and Paul. Well, Cephas is Peter. And what was happening at that time is that people were saying, I'm a follower of so-and-so. And they were taking pride in being followers of Peter or followers of Paul or followers of Apollos, like of these prophets, of these people who were good religious leaders. They were taking a pride in this. What Paul is saying today is don't take a pride in who your teacher is. Pay attention who the real master is. Be an apprentice of the real master. Spoiler alert, the real master, his name is Jesus. See, this is the, this a master and apprentice relationship, this follower kind of relationship. This is exactly what Jesus did with his first apostles. This is exactly what Jesus did during the course of his life, during the course of his public ministry. He took 12 normal guys. A handful of fishermen who weren't very good at their job. Uh, an IRS tax collector, right? A couple of doubters. Someone who was trying to overthrow the government. He took this group of 12 normal guys and called them to follow him. They followed him for three years, and then after that three years led through all the, all the miracles that we hear about the Gospels, all the teachings that Jesus repeats to us today, leads all the way to the Last Supper, the Paschal Mystery, the cross, and then an empty tomb on Easter Sunday. It changed the course of their life. It changed the course of human history because the 12 men decided that they were going to be an apprentice. They were going to be a disciple. They were going to follow this new master. Apprenticeship and discipleship, they're very similar. You have to find a master. After you find the master, then you have to follow your master. And then after you follow the master, then you, after a while, you become the master. Well, Paul's helping us out with the first step, right? Paul's helping us out with the first step, that he is pointing and saying, Jesus is the master. The model that he did with his disciples, the model that he did with his apostles back, in, back whenever he was here, is the same model that he wants to follow and the same model that he wants to invite us into as well, is that Jesus is the master. Don't stop at Paul, don't stop at Apollos, don't stop at Cephas, don't stop at Father PJ, don't stop at Father JD, that the real master, the truest master, 
is Jesus Christ, first and foremost. Second step, though, is the hard one. Second step is where we try and we, we or where we're tried, where we, uh, where we really figure out if we have the resolve to follow this master. Because it's not always easy to follow him. It's really easy whenever the apostles are going from town to town, place to place, and everybody is coming in and wanting to get a piece of and talk to and see and hold and touch and, and just hug and be healed by Jesus. It's really, really easy whenever you're popular and you walk into the town. But we know the Christian life isn't always easy. We know that sometimes there can be a lie that's out there in the culture that if you give your life over to Jesus Christ, then what happens is that everything else becomes easy. That's a lie. Because there's still sickness. There's still hurt, there's still pain, there's still drama. Everything that's going on in your family doesn't get fixed because you gave your life to Jesus. Jobs are still lost. Culture in the world still is the culture in the world. But what happens is that Jesus doesn't make the, when we give our life over to Jesus, it doesn't make the road easy, but it gives us the strength to walk the hard road. Let me say that again. When we give our life over to Jesus, when we're going to follow our Lord, when we're going to say and make a commitment with our life that my life is going to start to look like Jesus, it doesn't make the road easy. It gives us the strength to walk the hard road. In the next four days, after the revelry and the excitement of Mardi Gras, kind of dissipates after they got the, the, the horses and the cops that just go down Bourbon Street and clearing everybody out. Ash Wednesday sets in. And I know for the last three weeks I've been talking about we're preparing for Lent, that Lent's around the corner. Well, Lent's here. And for those 40 days, Jesus is inviting us to test our love of him, to test our resolve to follow him. Because the 40 days of Lent recognize and point to the 40 days that Jesus spent in the desert with prayer and fasting. The 40 days of Lent, we get to follow Jesus into a desert where everything else is stripped away. And it's just us and Him. Way to think about it, and whenever I, when I played sports and things in high school and, and younger, I remember as the season was going on, we might get sloppy with some of the fundamentals that my teammates and I, we might like think we got it and then fail at what we were doing. So what would happen is, is that about once a year, I remember like a coach would come up and say, all right, we're going back to the fundamentals. We're going, all, we're going back to the, to the fundamental things, the basics of the sport. We're going to go, if it's basketball, we're going to go back to dribbling and free throws. If it's baseball, we're going to just start working with ground balls, fly balls, and making sure that your stance and everything is right. That you go back to the fundamentals to make sure that our fundamentals are solid. The Lenten season for us is a chance to go back to the fundamentals. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple in the church, 
We get a chance to just simply go back to the fundamentals, back to the basics. Daily prayer. Giving something small up. Having a chance to go back and recommit ourselves to the life of the sacraments. Lent is 40 days in the desert, 40 days of following our Master. But the purpose of following the Master is not just to see what we could do or where we might go, but so that we can become Him. Let me explain. That we can become Him. Not be like Him, not kind of point to Him, but that we can become Him. There's a... uh, a friend of mine once told me, he said, do you know the, the method of making gold pure? Like of, of coming up with 24 karat gold. And I said, no. He said, the process is called smelting. Melting with an S. Smelting. And he says, what happens is, is that you take gold, you put it in a crucible, you heat it up really hot, and it all melts. But as it melts, as it's molten, as it's liquid... What happens is all the imperfections of the gold, all the other metals, all the other things in that gold rise to the top. And then for lack of a better word, you take a spoon and you basically just kind of skim it off the top and take the imperfections out little by little, piece by piece. The way that the the smelter, the one actually doing this process, knows that the gold is pure is when all the imperfections are removed, they can see their reflection in the gold. Lynn is a chance for us to enter into a bit of a crucible, to be melted down, and let all the imperfections of us come to the top. All the imperfections in our life, all those, all, all those things, those unkind words, that the gossip, the struggles, the sins that we have in secret and in public, the sins that we have late at night on a computer when nobody else is looking, those sins that we fight with and that we struggle with day in and day out, they rise to the surface. And all the Lord wants is for us to skim them out, to bring them to Him. And what happens over this time, what happens when we go into the process, what happens when we enter into this kind of relationship with God, is that sooner or later, He sees His reflection in us. God wants for every one of us to have the best Lent ever. God wants for every one of us to come back into relationship with Him, to grow closer to Him, to become Him, to become His hands, His feet, His mouth for the world around us. Do you want to enter into a relationship, an apprenticeship with the true Master? Lent's the perfect time to recommit. Lynn is the perfect time to dive deep into that relationship. Lynn is the perfect time to be purified and healed of whatever sin, whatever struggle that you're dealing with. We know where to find the Lord. We wouldn't be at Mass if we didn't. 
We know that it's going to take courage, that it's going to take a commitment, that it's going to take some perseverance to follow him. But we also know that it can change the world around us if we become him. Today, let our Eucharist that we celebrate, let the process that we enter into during this Lenten season bring us closer to our Lord so that we can become him in our world.